case you haven't heard, there's a presidential election coming right around the corner. And in case you haven't heard, conversations about politics in this country are getting messier and more heated by the day. So why would any preacher in his or her right mind stand up and preach on politics? You're only asking for trouble. I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Miller. And uh, Kevin, both of us have preached on politics. And so, Kevin, it's great to have you here. Hey, it's great to be with you as always, Matt. And I would say if we're doing that, it's either because we're fearless or we're insane. (laughs) Or we like getting in trouble. (laughs) So seriously, on this episode of Monday Morning Preacher, we want to reveal with irrefutable proofs and winsome arguments and flashes of brilliance and humor, why at some point, maybe soon, maybe not, but why at some point you should preach on politics, why you cannot avoid preaching on politics. And then we will provide five helpful principles for how to preach on politics. Well, well, that was, <laughs> maybe you should have set the bar a little lower. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very hopeful these days. Okay. I'm very optimistic about our country and politics. So uh, seriously though, Kevin, you just finished a five-part series on uh, preaching on racial injustice, which had a lot of political dimensions to it. And I'm going to do a two-part series on Christians and politics. So give us your best shot how you waded into this. Well, you know, the first thing I'm thinking about as a preacher, and I know you would be too, Matt, is that I have to preach to all of my people. I have to preach to the woman that I'm thinking of in my church, who, who is a huge supporter of our, our president. And I have to think about the other woman who sits like one row over, who right now is working for the opposition candidate uh, campaign. So both of them are in my church and both of them want to hear the gospel. And so I got to preach to everybody. Everybody, all the tribes in your church. Speaking of tribes, there was a 2017 survey on politics called the Hidden Tribes of America Study, and it identified uh, seven specific political tribes. And so you had the two extremes. You had what they called the progressive activist tribe and the devoted conservative tribe. And that consisted of, they were about each 7%, but uh, in the majority tribe was called the exhausted majority 67% of the country. So, I mean, we got extreme people, but then we just got a lot of tired people, a lot of people that are beat up, a lot of people that are cynical, a lot of people that are withdrawn. And uh, for me, it just boiled down to, you know, if the Lordship of Christ has nothing to say about about politics, then, you know, our our faith is, is irrelevant, a huge dimension of human existence and life. And yet, you know, Kevin, you talked about how Jesus dealt with his disciples. Uh, Yeah, I loved your comments on that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, so Jesus has in his closest uh, followers, he's got Matthew, who's collaborating with the oppressive enemy Roman army, getting money from them, which is going then back to the Romans to keep the soldiers there. And then he's got Simon the Zealot, who's running an underground movement, trying to get these Romans killed and, and driven out of the country. So... These two guys, politically speaking, absolutely hate each other. They have not one shred of common uh, ground, except they both are magnetized by this new rabbi. And so I think it's actually a sign of the gospel, Matt, when we have people all over that seven tribes that you mentioned. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes I'll tell people, I said, you know, when you you come up this morning for communion, 
right next to you will be somebody receiving communion at this table who is canceling out your vote. And then I'll say, but that is a sign of the inbreaking of the gospel. Where else can you go in our country and have close fellowship, a close community with somebody you disagree with that much? Yeah. We're, we're losing all those spaces, and the gospel says we don't have to because Jesus is big enough to draw us together, even across those divides. I, I love that. So what you're saying, another way to say that is, you know, politics is just really messy, and wading into it is messy. There's a new book that uh, InterVarsity Press put out called Compassion and Conviction. Um, it's a, a great book, but I, I love what the authors say about they first of all, they say that nothing was unaffected by the fall. Politics is no exception. But then they say this, Christians should engage politics because doing so provides us with a robust opportunity to love our neighbor by acting justly, promoting human flourishing, and seeking the prosperity of our community. So, man, promoting human flourishing, seeking the prosperity of our community, acting justly, loving our neighbor, it, it's risky, it's messy, but it is, it is worth it to wade into and it. yet there's risk, and so we avoid it. Why do you think, Kevin, why do you think we avoid preaching on just kind of controversial political topics? Well, part of it is we, uh, we don't want to create unnecessary controversy in the church, of course. So that's very understandable. Part of it is we have our own opinions. I, I actually think sometimes I see younger preachers out on Facebook, and their feed is so clearly one-party oriented that I'm like, man, I don't know if I, like, if I came to your church and I didn't hold that, that point of view, would I still know that you loved me? You know, uh, so I, I think I think part of it is we just don't go quite hard enough to to understand the other other folks who disagree with us. Uh, but also, I think in the white evangelical church, which is you know been so influential in my own life and yours, Matt. I mean, we yes. you know they're the church that brought us to Jesus. There hasn't been a, a a strong tradition in many quarters of it. Now there have in some of of really taking on political issues. And instead, there's been some sort of falling back and saying, well, let's just, let's just speak to the gospel and the gospel will change hearts and, and that will get it done. Yeah, I was with a church member this weekend and he said, he boasted, uh, I am completely non-political. I'm a card-carrying member. He didn't say this, but I just was running in my head. I'm a card-carrying member of the not political political party. And but, you know, Tim Keller said a really interesting thing about that. He said, uh, you can't be, well, you can be, un, if you're trying to be unpolitical, really, you are being political. What you're saying is, I'm happy with the status quo. I like things as they are. I'm planting my feet firmly in the status quo. Some things are, are wrong in this broken world. Some things are unjust. Some things are worth fighting for. And so it, you really can't be unpolitical. So I... Uh, Kevin, you've, you've written uh, on this, and you, you gave me five principles for how to preach on politics. And uh, these were really helpful to you in your series, and you've learned some things after your series. So start with principle number one. Yeah, well, first for me was since, my, since I, I've been at the church three and a half years, and I've not preached much overtly on political matters. So... 
this series was going to feel to some like a departure. And actually, I was feeling that somewhat degree. So here's my principle one is preaching is a team sport. You want to make sure you're bringing your leaders along as best you can. And so I actually worked with our, our board and our, our staff ahead of time. I led them through a conversation about a book that we all read together on racial justice. And, and I acknowledged my own uh, sense of inadequacy at times to try to speak to this issue. And I told them what I was hoping to do in the series and how we were going to lay it out. And so by the time we got to the series, actually, I think there was already a sense of, of, of support uh, an understanding. And so it didn't just come out of the blue. Yeah. And I'm working, I'm preaching in uh, just two weeks on the part one of our Christians and politics series. And I am spending more time vetting that sermon. And we've talked about this before. I'm not looking for permission to say certain things, but I am looking for critique. I am looking for helpful perspective. So I'm creating a Google Doc. I'm trying to get it done a week before I preach it and then uh, just put the Google Doc out there and let people comment on it. One of the guys is a professor, uh, has a PhD in political science, a really good Christian thinker on politics. And so he said he agreed he would uh, critique my manuscripts. And so uh, I'm just getting, I want people, key people, key leaders, and it's just a select handful, maybe five or six, to know where I'm going and to give input into this series. I think that's, I think that's really wise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want people to say, you know, some of our key leaders to say, oh, I had no idea he was going to say that, uh, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, principle number two, Kevin. Well, this is to, uh, to learn from books and commentaries written by people who do not look like me or podcasts or whatever it is. But you know, when I go to my shelf and I pull off these amazing learned commentaries, virtually all of them are written by white men who grew up with enough privilege, at least to be able to finish a, a doctoral degree. And, and it doesn't mean they're bad people and it doesn't mean they're not excellent scholars, but they may miss things that someone who's been on the underside of life may see. I, I know you and I both had that experience as we've yeah. recently been reading, reading while black written by Esau Macaulay. You go, man, how have I read these texts for so many years? Right. I'm not seeing what is actually rather evident now that it's pointed out to me. Yeah. Uh, Esau's got it's a great line. I know we've both quoted it at, at different times. He says, uh, we black Christians, he's referring to, have never had the luxury of separating our faith from political action. Due to the era into which it was born, the black church found it necessary to pr protest a policy put in place by the state, namely slavery. That's what Esau Macaulay, and he said that, and I thought, wow, I've never thought of it that way. And he also walks, he's a great exegete. He's actually a, a, he's a New Testament scholar, so most of the book is exegesis, walking through particular passages and shedding light on them from an African-American experience. Like, you know, like, here's just one example. First Timothy 2 talks about praying for our political leaders. Okay, that's great. We should do that. But right before that, in chapter 1, he notes that Paul calls out slave trading and, and condemns it, which was a legal practice in the Roman Empire at that time. So basically, Paul is protesting an act of legislation in his day. And I thought, I have never seen that before. So you're so right, Kevin. That can just really open our eyes to some things. Just one more thing on that. 
Tim Keller also says to just read news from different perspectives. You know, so yeah. don't get it from one source or prim just primarily from one source. Your people are reading all kinds of stuff. Whether you want them to or not, they're being discipled. So you at least need to understand what's going on in their heads. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes like I'm reading from a, a source that's maybe to the left of me or maybe to the right of me. It gets me thinking and it even changes my mind, not on core doctrines, but on just some ways to live out politics as a Christian. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, social media is so uh, divided. You have to read both. I think that's, that's brilliant. Well, yeah. my, uh, my third principle for as we wade into politics is to really focus on the foundational principles involved. God has revealed himself forever, especially through his liberation of the uh, old covenant people from Egypt as a God who hears the cries of the oppressed and delivers them from a political system mm. and, and, and relieves their bondage. And so, so we must always be on the side of the oppressed and, and the, the, those who are suffering, we lean into them. And so at, we have to preach those foundational principles of liberty for the oppressed, justice, dignity of the human person. And, and so then that, that gives me the foundation stone that's strong enough to stand on. Yeah, so and that will lead us into some, I think, some odd positions in our culture. So, for instance, we should be people who are passionate about protecting the lives of unborn children. We should be passionately pro-life. But the longer I've been involved in the pro-life movement, I'm also coming to see that okay, this has some implications. We need, also need policies for, to help poor pregnant women who are in these situations. Sure, the, the local crisis pregnancy centers, they're, they're amazing. They do amazing ministries. I have so much respect for them. We partner with one very deeply. But I think it's also sometimes the government needs to get involved in providing housing. And yeah. crisis pregnancy centers can't do that. The government needs to do that. Um, same thing with refugees. Uh, establishing strong borders as I think part of uh, part of the role of government. But then Bible is also really clear about hospitality for refugees, you know? And yeah. In fact, I told my people, I said, you can believe in a strong border or a weak border, but here's the thing. The Christian believes that the family is given to us by God and is sacred and every child needs to be with their parents if they can be. And so I said, please write your legislators as I have and respectfully ask them to find a better solution. Children should not be separated from their parents as a part of our immigration policy. Whatever your political view is on the relative, you know, strength of the Southern border. Yeah, well, and you talked about, you know, family values. One of the things I've been reading is just from, especially people of color, especially our African-American community is um, the, the number of men and many fathers who are incarcerated, you know? And if we're really for, for um, family values, we should be for a, a, a strong and well-working justice system, but we should also be working to reunite fathers with their children, you know? That's part of, it's, it's a both and. So uh, principle number three, are we on three or four? Yeah, we're we, on three. Three is really bur burrowed down to the foundation, and maybe four is yeah. just an add-on to three which is uh, the brilliant late Haddon Robinson used to say, yeah. we must carefully distinguish 
when we say something is biblical, is it clearly thus saith the Lord? Yeah. Like love one another as I have loved you. That's a thus saith the Lord. But, or is it really just a probable implication of the text? Or is it even less weighty than that? Is it a possible implication of the text? Or even, I hope not too often, is it a conceivable but somewhat of a stretched implication of the text? Uh-huh. And because what happens in politics, because we have a lot of emotion around it, is we'll take one of those lower level things, one of those possible implications, and we'll push it all the way up to thus saith the Lord. And that's where we get into trouble. And so we've got to be like extra watchful on ourselves and make sure that when we say thus saith the Lord, it truly is thus saith the Lord. Yeah, and then there might be implications, but we're honest about where that falls on the thus saith the Lord level. Um, well, no, exactly. And, and, and I think one way to do that, Matt, is like after the, in, in the sermon, we say thus saith the Lord, then we say, and now we're having a class, a discussion uh, group that's going to wrestle with what are the possible and probable implications of this text uh, for us as believers today. And so in the class environment, there's give and take, you can ask questions, you can give people the sense that there's some room to disagree, because at this point, there is. Yes. So a couple of examples. There is a thus saith the Lord that followers of Jesus should care passionately and deeply and give their lives incarnationally to serve the poorest of the poor, okay? So you cannot, if you have a hard heart towards the poor, if you mock the poor, you're mocking their maker, Proverbs says. And God promises some pretty terrible things to people that, that don't care about the poor. But then the question becomes, what are the best governmental policies and programs to help the poor? That's where it gets a little more confusing. Um, so, for instance, take one example, like minimum wage. Should we raise the minimum wage? What should be the, the minimum wage? What is the perfect minimum wage to not run small businesses out of business so they can hire people and yet support people and pay them a fair wage? I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a biblical answer to that. But we should definitely care about the poor. Same for refugees. You know, if you don't care about refugees, I mean, it's all over the place in the Bible, hospitality to refugees and immigrants. But how many refugees should we take in a year? You know, that's, I don't know, that's, that's up for debate. So anyway, it's, I love that, the, the way you define that with Haddonish, Haddonish a plum. Uh, <laughs> so I think your, your last principle, Kevin. We may be the only podcast in the world that, that has the phrase Haddonish a plum. <laughs> Okay, yeah. Well, my last one is that the sermon's not the only way to disciple yes. people about politics. Uh, one practice that I love, and, and I know your church does it as well as ours, is every week we pray for the sitting president by name, regardless yes. of the party. And, um, and, and that just teaches us over the course of several administrations, everybody needs prayer. And then, uh, you know, also one-on-one -on -one conversations get a lot done. Uh, I've, I've got a friend who just got to his new church, and uh, he's still building trust. It's too early for him to mount a, a significant series on politics in the sermons, uh, but he's doing a lot one-on-one, -on -one and, and he's learning where his people are, but he's also already starting to disciple them. Yeah. Kevin, that's really good. You know, I think it's, it's tempting to say as preachers, 
that, well, there's the saying that politics is downstream from culture, which I largely agree with. So that implies that we should really go upstream and fix the culture, promoting biblical righteousness, bringing people to the Lord, working in the arts and uh, things like that to bring about social change. So I think that's largely true, but I think it's also true that culture is downstream from politics because politics can have a huge impact on, on culture. And so it's not an either or, it's a both and. And, and politics is, again, it's, it's broken, it's fallen, uh, it can get corrupt. We have two major political parties now that used to be closer than they are now. They've, we've gotten more extreme, we've gotten further apart, there's less civility. And yet politics is an institution given by God by which we can promote human flourishing and the creation mandate we're called to, to wade into it. So, Kevin, I don't know if you have any last thoughts on preaching on politics for our preachers out there. Well, the one thing I, I would hope that um, we would take away from people today, Matt, is the ability to say, as I used to think myself, so I say this with a lot of charity. Uh, let's just preach the gospel. It'll change hearts. And, and that's yeah. our role. That works if the current system is working for you. So I think as white evangelicals, we've said that or been able to say that because largely the schools work for our kids and we have jobs. But for the suffering and the oppressed communities throughout the you know, country, uh, that's, we can't say that. And, and right. so let's return to our best sources. Let's return, return to the Lausanne Covenant, which says sociopolitical responsibility is also a part of our duty, along with evangelism. Let's return to Calvin, who emphasized social ministry through the diaconate in Geneva very strongly and, and said it was the part of government to care for the poor. So we've, we've got to return to our best sources and get involved and, and speak up as best we can. Yeah, and the early church was also just huge in, in ministering to the poor. And in a way, they were politically powerless. Um, they didn't have a voice. They didn't have representatives. But they had an impact because they, they loved the people around them and to the best of their ability got involved in issues like providing uh, Basil the Great built the first Christian, the first hospital known in the world, you know. So Christians have always had a both-and approach to this. So, so preachers, we encourage you at some point, maybe soon or maybe sometime next year, to wade into the troubled waters of preaching on politics. It could get you into trouble, um, but that's okay. I think it's worth the risk because... Christians are called, as Jesus said, to be salt and light in our culture. And politics is one way that Christians can be salt and light. Uh, one way that we can love our neighbors and provoke, promote a biblical vi vision of human flourishing. So pray about it, think about it, read about it, and at some point, disciple your people in this really vital aspect of what it means to follow Jesus in today's world. Again, this is Matt Woodley and uh, my co-host Kevin Miller on Monday Morning Preacher. Thanks for joining us.